0: Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. When Eunice Baguma Ball arrived in the UK from Uganda, she wanted to continue her work within the tech space. She soon found that the barriers to her success were being African and female. In this episode, Eunice shares the challenges she's faced and how completing the masters in social innovation has given her a new perspective on how to solve the challenge of bringing more African women to the world of tech. I began by asking her why she founded the Africa Technology Business Network.
1: So the need to found it is an interesting one. Really, it was, I guess, a bit selfish in terms of, I just moved to the UK. This was in, um, back in 2014. My work in Uganda, which is where I'm from, had been a lot around sort of tech, tech for development, mobile innovations that were being used in sort of interesting ways. Um, so I'd kind of really gotten into that, you know, the tech and innovation and entrepreneurship space. There, that's kind of what I wanted to do was work in tech, and, and I attempted to run a startup while I was there. Um, didn't last very long. So when I when I moved to the UK, I knew I wanted to work in tech and I spent a lot of time trying to find a job in the tech scene here. And every time I told somebody I was from Uganda, obviously they had the accent. And I said, I want to work in tech and run a startup and I worked for startups. Everyone was like, you know, tech, Africa, you know, they just really didn't put those two worlds together. So suffice to say, it was very challenging to find a role in tech like I wanted and also the, the role that I wanted, I wanted something that could still be maybe here, but still have links with Africa was basically didn't exist. So I set up ATBN one, I guess, to address some of the ignorance that kept coming across as I was trying to find these opportunities around sort of tech in Africa. What you mean there's a tech space? So it started out mainly me running meetups and showcasing different innovation startups and, and things that were happening on the African continent around tech you know, to just raise awareness and let people know what's happening. And then on the other hand, it was to kind of build my networks and try to figure out how could I sort of use my links and connections with Africa as a kind of advantage and a way to sort of contribute towards the work, maybe, you know, UK-rooted work focused on Africa that could be around tech. So that's kind of how it started out, It was more around me trying to raise awareness and also find opportunities for myself. And then it's just grown from there.
0: Before I ask you what it is that ATBN actually does, I'm really curious about those stereotypes that you mentioned. And people over here are going, really? Tech space?
1: Mm -hmm. Uganda?
0: Seriously? I mean, clearly that's just one of the the stereotypes that you have to deal with. What are the others? And, And how do you overcome those stereotypes when you're pushing this particular kind of agenda forward? I mean, I, I guess
1: for me, I, I always, I used to laugh and I kind of had like three strikes, you know, Like first you're like foreign, and not just any foreign, but it's like from Africa, and then you're black, and then you're female. And then, you know, in tech, that's just quite a few, I guess, a few strikes when you're telling somebody, hey, I could, you know, sort of run your startup and, and, and do your business development and help you grow. And I just remember, I mean, I just remember, I remember doing this one specific interview simply because I think it's probably the last one I did where I said, you know what, this is not working. I think I'm just going to have to create the opportunity myself. But I did this interview where I first met one person and they were just like really impressed because I, by that point, I just like went in and done my homework. Like I said, you know, you have that overcompensating thing where you know like right I'm, I'm really coming up against a lot of things just to even get my foot in the door so as soon as I get if I get an in then I better just like bring a, 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 a plus game so I just went in and done research about the company I already had all these ideas on strategy and where they needed to focus and growth and, da, da, da. and so I go in and I do this presentation and you just like as I just kept going and stuff, and it was just like you know you can literally see that disbelief on somebody's face, and you know the questions were like, so you really like did you come up with this, and you know this is really impressive. It's almost like as if you've read our strategy document, and uh, it's really and you know they were just like super impressed, and we talked to the presentation, and you know I obviously made it clear this was my idea. I mean there's there's nowhere else I would have gotten them and stuff, and I left you know feeling like come on, this is in the bag, you know, like, really? And then I never heard back from them, literally. Followed up. These were people who were, like, responsive. I went from, I did two interviews in, like, a space of three days, and then just literally radio silence, like, followed up one week, two weeks, three weeks. And it was just something I found really, really, like, disrespectful and frustrating about that, especially given the time to go into and make a presentation and not even get, like, you know, even just, like, you know, that email of you know, thanks, you know, there's just like the standard email, yeah, it's going to take you five minutes to to do. I think stereotypes are very, very powerful that even when you can see evidence before you that somebody knows what you're doing, if you you just can't fathom that this could be somebody that can do something really well, then, you know, it's just, yeah, it just really hit home to me how powerful they can be. So I think for me, it was now about like creating my opportunities and really trying to start to change, I guess, some of the stereotypes by setting up my organization, like I said, showcasing tech, innovation, and, and stuff that was happening. I think a lot has changed from, I think now we're talking, what, seven, eight years ago? A lot has changed now. There's a lot more headlines, you know, African startups that have been in Y Combinator recently. You know, an African fintech company was acquired by Stripe. So I think there's just much more stories that are coming out of Africa Tech that people now understand. There's the whole ecosystem and stuff. But I think back then there was there was very very little. Um, and so my way of sort of trying to address this was just doing my bit in terms of just showcasing, telling stories. Because yeah, I think you know one evidence or one story may not be enough. But if you if we keep sort of sharing, I think then you start to slowly change our mindset
0: so with that in mind one of the strikes that you mentioned is gender the fact that you're a woman so how does your role then at ATBN bring together that sort of technology gender and entrepreneurship
1: so I think like I was saying you do have all these different stereotypes or barriers and you know around just being in tech and 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 and, and what people think you're competent at or, or good at and, and like I said, a lot of what's driven me and, and sort of now my organization is is around addressing some of these things. So addressing sort of gender stereotypes for women to get into tech and, and participate in tech is something that's sort of close to my heart as well. And it's, it's sort of also, you know, from my own experiences, I studied engineering at, at university and I was sort of one of five girls or women in a class of I think it was about maybe 40 or 50. So you know you're just constantly coming against these things where people are trying to tell you, oh, you can't know that or you can't do that. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of the work I do through my organisation is personal for me. Uh, that's on you know addressing the gender side with the tech. I just have a passion for tech. I think just the freedom or it, the, the opportunities it gives to create. Um, I was talking to somebody recently, and and you know they they, they said something that really resonated with me. They said you know, with Africa, we've missed quite a few boats. And listen, you know, in terms of like the industrial revolution and stuff, we're probably not going to catch up on the manufacturing and, and things like that elsewhere. But I think the one place where there's sort of low barriers to entry is sort of the tech space. So the fact that, you know, two young men in Nigeria can build a startup in five years that a company like Stripe is going to buy for, uh, sort of millions of pounds, it just goes to show what's possible. It's almost a, a bit of an equalizer in that sense, that if you have the talent and you have, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that you need to to, to get there in terms of support and funding, and we can talk about that as well, but that it's possible, right? Uh, whereas there's certain things like, you know, trying to set up an manufacturing plant, and then you're thinking, electricity and then you're thinking infrastructure and roads and raw materials you know the barriers are really really high so I think what I find exciting about tech is it's that ability to sort of equalize in terms of access to opportunities and the ability to empower um, young people in Africa to solve the problems that they see around them so that's tech and then I guess the last thing entrepreneurship is really it's, it's personal and also cultural. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, but also culturally, come, you know, Uganda, where I'm from, has one of like the highest youth unemployment. I, I keep losing track, but it's something like ridiculous, like 75, 80% at least among youth. And that's something that's not just a start, it's all around me, like lots of family and friends, like people who've just, you know, had a law degree, never managed to find anything and, you know, just ended up having to do entrepreneurship out of you know necessity so almost every single person I know has either had a business has a business or does something part-time it's just part of the culture so I think again it, it aligns with create your own opportunities create your own solutions this is just something that's part of my sort of family life and upbringing and also the
0: culture of where I'm from. So you describe yourself as, as a social entrepreneur a social innovator as well And it's obvious that the practice makes sense to you, but what is it about the concept of social innovation then that you connect with? I
1: think the thing that I connected is because obviously, I think for a long time, I guess I was doing what I was doing and I I didn't know it was, you could call it social entrepreneurship or social innovation. I think the term, the terminology and all of that, that, I guess, are relatively new and also maybe different people um, interpret them differently. But I think for me, what resonated was this idea of solving problems that matter. So one of the things I used to find quite, not not annoying, or but yeah, it was just, it was annoying <laughs> like when I moved here. And so I used to, like I said, I was looking for opportunities in tech. So I used to spend a lot of time in like tech events and pitch events and, you know, spend half my time at Google campus. I couldn't believe that there's this place you could literally go and just like work from for free. It was amazing. Um, but anyway. And I used to go to so many pitch events and it was so many people pitching, like the most useless things. Like it was like a new app to, I don't know, do what. It was just like, who cares? Like really, who has this problem? And to be fair, like the contrast to that is, you know, Facebook started out pretty much a very useless thing and it's now wild domination. So hands up on that one. But yeah, it was just like, I don't really care about a lot of the stuff these people are trying to build. You know, back home you have, kids at university trying to build a new kit to detect malaria faster or to, I think that's the thing I missed. was this like innovation that's really trying to solve real things that affect real people, you know, such a large scale that are either out of reach or unaffordable for many and should be, you know, education and healthcare and things. And that really drove me and drove my passion for tech. And so yeah, it's probably yeah, it's probably a, a good thing I didn't end up working for some, I don't know, doggy daycare app or something. I love dogs, by the way, and I think they should get <laughs> they should definitely be an app to help you find doggy daycare when you need it. But it's not one that I'm necessarily going to be working for. That's that's all. Yeah. So I think for me, that was that's what made social innovation resonate was it, it kind of captured that passion for the idea of sort of creating solutions or even using not necessarily technology but solving problems that matter we have we have a saying in uganda where it's a a bit of a not very nice part of like young people have this phrase where they say oh we say it in a local language government here to yambe it just means like the government should help and it was just this really obnoxious like thing that came up whenever there was a problem it was like oh the government should help the government should help but to be honest the true culture is you know A lot of people have realized the government is not going to help so you need to find solutions that's why i'm saying you have a young person who is trying to solve malaria or who is trying to solve you know access to education and stuff there is clearly that understanding that the solutions are not going to necessarily come from the government or from elsewhere so we need to solve them and that's kind of very very much part of the culture and within entrepreneurship where i am and it's also actually very interesting because like i said it almost feels like almost, in many ways, almost anything you do, you know, if you you do something and create a job, you have had an impact in a way, almost any entrepreneurship is social entrepreneurship, even if you're just creating your own job, and then helping support your family and send your kids to school. So it's, you know, I come from a culture where it it is kind of very difficult to define it at the same time. But yeah, I think for me, that's what resonated. Um, And I felt like this, this really captures why love tech and why I want to um, sort of support and be a part of of, of innovation and, and creating solutions for problems that matter
0: and that leads me to my next question so comparing your doggy daycare app
1: um, you're going to get me into trouble <laughs> <laughs> so the the uh, the concept over
0: here you know, you know
1: that was a really bad example because that's that's actually a useful app I'm going to redeem myself I'm going to think of one of like the really most like the ones where I was like huh? Maybe, maybe like one for like that helps you find like I don't know helps you match your shoes and your belt or something. Maybe, <laughs> that, maybe that one. That's a representative one. The doggy daycare one is definitely a. It's what we call a first world problem. <laughs> first world problem, app, but a useful one. All the dog lovers out there, I am. Um, I, I was, yeah.
0: But you've described it perfectly. It's a first world problem, but in comparison to the challenges that you know your family you face in uganda compared to the challenges in different parts of africa people are needing to find solutions to okay.
1: who but do you think yeah, Pam, compared to some of the sort of social problems i guess even within you know that like people that i see here facing homelessness and you know addiction etc
0: do you think a solution found for homelessness here translates well to being used say in in Uganda.
1: I honestly don't this is and this is I think something that I that I learned from conversations and reflections and reading you kind of come to understand that you there's nothing you can ever really transplant because you know problems are so embedded within their context and and so are the solutions and there's so many you know sort of theories around you know, like you said, place and who designs solutions that really makes them work or not work. You know, I remember there was a presentation, one of the, those two amazing ladies who had, um, they set up this social enterprise that really helped, had helped to uplift and regenerate a small community that had been sort of decimated by, you know, the closure of the factories that kind of employed most people. As somebody, obviously, from Africa, you don't you don't hear these stories about, places like this in the UK. And, you know, entire family groups of men, you know, becoming alcoholics and, and this affecting entire communities. But listening to how these women over, I think it was something like 25, 30 years had set up this community center that had become the heart of the community. And so it made you realize like no one else could come in and solve that problem. You just had to be a part of it. You had to be there. You had to be in it for the long term. It just made you realize that it wasn't going to be some alcohol rehab thing that came short-term and solved it. It it was all about places for the family to be, it was all about support for, it was about jobs, it was about employment, it was about motivating and building people back up. And then you can't just transplant that to somewhere else because it was all sort of really about the story of, you know, the closure of this really sort of broken, the spirit and the community and the sense of being of this community. So just. When you listen, you're exposed to case studies and stories like that, it just makes you realize you can't just then say, "Oh, what did they do? They set up a community center, they run a few classes for children and job things, and then let's move it somewhere else. It was more than that. there was it was also even around like the women themselves and who they are and how they manage relationships and and the symbol that they you know they were to the community and, and the fact that people trusted them. How would you transplant that trust and that relationship elsewhere? I think now based on the exposure and sort of the thinking that the MST allowed me to do around, you know, sort of just social innovation, especially when you're looking at sort of solving some of these complex sort of deep-seated challenges has made me realise there's just so much that goes into something like that, that you can't transplant.
0: So you did, as you've, you've talked about there, the Masters in Social Innovation at the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. Why, first of all, did you decide that this was, a master's worth pursuing
1: yeah that's a very good question actually (laughs) one I repeatedly asked myself like halfway through I was like why are we doing this again why so for me it was mainly about where I had gotten to with my social enterprise with ATBN I actually did the as part of Cambridge Social Ventures so I'd been through the accelerator and I was kind of at this point where I just felt like a lot of what I was doing wasn't really having the impact that I wanted it to have, so I just come out of running a few programs. A lot of them were, so for example, I ran an accelerator for female entrepreneurs in Ghana, and I was just going through the program that you know the accelerator and stuff, and thinking about sustainability and thinking about your theory of change and thinking about your impact. I was able to support sort of thirty women through this accelerator in Ghana. It involved me taking three or four trips to Ghana and I was like so what's next for this is this to run this in five ten other African countries and to do that how many flights would that be and how many women have I reached then a hundred maybe you know it just felt like what's the impact and it really started make me think about things of how do you create impact at scale and how do you empower and enable um, it just made me think of more like I guess systems thinking so thinking about I could go and run an accelerator for 30 women, or I could maybe work with five organizations that will stay locally and support 30 women a year and give them the tools and expertise and maybe help them access a mentor pool, give them the curriculum or whatever. And in that way, I've then sort of set a system that's scalable that I can then, you know, with each country, it's like you've set it up to support you know hundreds of women every year right and I was just trying to make that shift of how do you create impact at scale and I, I just I wasn't really like figuring it out and I and I felt like there's a time to sort of pause a bit and reflect and think about how do you take it up to the next gear because I even though I'm African and I was sort of running my program in Africa there's still a sense of yeah you're still going in and out and so then what's the impact you're leaving, right? Um, So I just wanted to think about doing things better and doing things at scale. And yeah, and there's something about the program that made me think that this was a place where I could, you know, get the tools to to think about creating long-term impact in a more systematic way and sort of help me guide what my next steps would be. It was also like the first time in my life that I've, I guess, done studying, I would say fully by choice in terms of i decided, you know, I did engineering because my parents slash my grades throw me in that direction even though I'm really like literally the most <laughs> least engineering person like you'd ever meet so yeah so it was this time it was something where was like this is something I'm really interested in uh, I want to think about where I want to go next in terms of my social entrepreneur social innovator journey and I really want to do things at scale now how do I get there and I felt like that's the muscles who could have helped me put those pieces of that puzzle together.
0: I've spoken to a number of alumni of the Masters of Social Innovation, and phrases that come up frequently are: "It's not for the faint of heart," "It's hard work," "It's challenging." How did it challenge you?
1: Uh, oh my god, writing. So the funny thing is because I because I I did an engineering and I did a masters before, but again it was kind of like a, it was called engineering management for engineers. So it was still very technical. All my assignments were usually like. A design or a business plan, like it was never. I've never written an essay in my life. You know, you, you got an education, you do exams, you don't really write essays. So just learning how to write essays and straight away to like five thousand word essays, like literally, I, <laughs> literally used to bring me like close to tears, like real adult ugly face tears. And like my husband would find me in the corner, like just saying, "I, why am I doing this?" I have no idea what I'm writing or saying and the deadline is not moving so it was just challenging I'm sure there's lots of people for whom writing essays was nothing and you know maybe that challenge was was different but for me it was mainly that but then also just juggling it alongside everything else you know just getting yourself to think you know with my social enterprise it's you know it's practical things like we need to find, find funding or if we're running a program it's you know it's things you know like I can solve I need to find a partner i need to find a venue i need to you know you know write a proposal well this was just kind of really having to dig deep and think differently and challenge things and challenge your own thinking and it was just like a whole other space so to move from your day job or whatever you're doing and then try and get into that space and read stuff and critically and just the volume of reading as well was just challenging um, and then halfway through i had my son so that was like a whole other it is challenging and I think also I guess because of the phase of life a lot of us end up doing it it's doing it alongside everything else but uh, I also think you do need to be at that phase of life because I think there's a lot to absorb that that you bring from your sort of past experience and even like and I think that's what made it really valuable was all these people that had you know years of experience and stuff in their sectors in their countries in their in life in general that just made the conversation so much richer so we're all not sort of, sort of spring chicken straight out of university. Just added more, I guess, depth to some of the, the conversations and the learning
0: overall. So we've talked about Africa Technology Business Network, your enterprise. We've talked about what got you to the point of being a social entrepreneur. We've got, talked about what got you to the point of, of doing the masters in social innovation. Now that that's over, How do you move forward? How do you take all of that experience that you have to actually help propel change, even if it's in a a more local, Mm. more scalable manner?
1: So first of all, I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) Sometimes it's so much easier. If you do like an MBA, yes, it's very expensive, but you're like, yeah, I'm going to work in like these top 10 firms and then I'll make back my paycheck. Like it's when you do a in social innovation and then you're like working as a, you know, sort of social innovator, social entrepreneur, it's like, Okay, you really can't measure the return on investment in that sort of straightforward terms. I think the biggest thing it gave me was, one, understanding the complexity of some of the challenges. I think I still had this, you know, problem, solution. There's a problem, you find a solution, it's, you know, maybe not necessarily a straight path, but there's a path to kind of really thinking about how problems are sort of more complex interconnected and and, and also to just give yourself there for the grace to realize like you can't solve every problem and you can't solve you know even in a problem maybe you will just solve just a tiny bit of it right so just being comfortable with knowing that yes there's a very massive problem but I can't solve the whole of it myself I think it's made me much more collaborative in my approach I'm now part of much bigger projects although as a one of several partners it's really changed my approach in terms of like bigger and further together and, and and also like the opportunities I'm going for but also very being very very I guess strategic and systematic about what the impact it will leave after so I think there was a lot we used to talk about and think about in our master's around like unintended consequences so this idea of you can think you're doing good but you may not be so this just this constant awareness of trying to think about what's the impact of what you're doing immediately but also in the long term and just taking stock so all i can say is it's now it's it's a change the way i approach what i'm doing to be sort of much more strategic long-term thinking really thinking about the impact but also thinking about who else i could partner with and work with it's not about just saying you know there's this problem and I'm, I'm going to solve it being humble enough to know that you may not be able to solve it or you can't solve it all and, and always looking out for opportunities to sort of collaborate and work with people on it now since i've finished the masters i worked on like two collaborative projects one was with six partners and we focused on two african countries and and the latest one is focusing on four african countries and 11 partners so it's kind of already I can already see like the work I'm doing now versus the one I was doing two years ago is quite different.
0: So finally, Eunice, somebody comes to you and says, "I, I want to be a social innovator. I want to make a difference. I want to solve a problem. What would you say to them?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I think I would say already the fact that you're asking that question, you already have this drive and interest in the problems around you already thinking about how you can solve them the biggest thing you can do as a social innovator is look around you and see the problems and ask the right questions, right? So don't underestimate the fact that you're even asking the questions like, what are the solutions to this? Because that's going to be, I think should be the majority of your work as an innovator is to ask and to probe and seek to understand. I think that solving or you know creating the solutions should really not be the biggest thing because whatever you solve that you need to go back into the cycle of ask again are there unintended consequences is this needed is this the right you know you always have to go back into the loop of asking so i would say to them first of all yeah you probably you, you know you already are um and then the next thing is just you know kind of equip yourself with the tools to then figure out because you know some of these problems we are thinking about or want need to solve are very a very complex a very embedded. It's not you know quick fix that's going to fix them. So equip yourself with the tools that you that you might need. You know speak to people, read, do a masters if you have the if you're not faint of heart. You know. You know, so just get the, you know, the knowledge you feel. I guess the third thing I'd say is don't be overwhelmed. Like, you know, some of these problems are problems that have been around for years. And years. I think sometimes as social innovators, you put the pressure on yourself to feel like, oh my goodness, I need to solve, you know, climate change. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, just I think this recognition of that sometimes what you can do is just influence just a very specific area that you can. And I think that having almost a faith, but also like through our process empowering other people that if there's enough of us caring and then doing and working in these little areas and niches where we understand we have built the know-how, the relationships, the resources to make change, then together we will, you know, ultimately uh, shift the needle on this. So I would say, you know, don't become overwhelmed because sometimes I think and I think this actually happened to me again in a masters. at some point when we were really looking at problems and how they're wicked problems and how they're like complex and all these things. I was like, you know what, therefore there's no solution. I like, it became like super cynical. Like, went to the other side. I was like, we're all doomed. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's just trying not to get overwhelmed and sort of keeping that optimism and I think that I think for me it's also that you know that belief that there's other people that are also sort of working that are so passionate and and together somehow will slowly change do your whatever you can influence and just really focus on that.
0: Thank you to Eunice Baguma Ball founder and director of the Africa Technology Business Network and alumna of the Masters in Social Innovation. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube.